Joshua, the fifth chapter, as we continue in our study going through the book of Joshua, marching, fueled by faith, fueled by faith. And we see how by faith, the people of God can accomplish phenomenal things. By faith, the people of God can be obedient. By faith, the people of God are victorious. Joshua, the fifth chapter, beginning with the first verse. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war who died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, Why does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I'd like to put a tag on the text before us this morning. Preparing for the fight of your lives. Preparing for the fight of your lives. Let us pray. Holy Father, you are magnificent. Holy Father, you are faithful, and your steadfast love endures forever. Father, there's nothing else that we would need to see you do to understand that you already love us. Demonstrating and sending your Son to be the Savior of the world, that through him we may have forgiveness of sins and redemption and fellowship with you. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you have sent forth your Holy Spirit to lead us in righteousness, to, to cause us the desire to chase after you. And Father, it is, we, we beg that your Holy Spirit will come in, into this place and that you will guide our minds that we may rightly think about who you are, what you have done, and what you are doing, 
Father, may you open up our blind eyes, for apart from your grace, we would never be be able to understand the magnificent truths in your word. Father, and apart from your Holy Spirit, we cannot hear this preached word. So, Father, I ask that you will open closed ears and soften hard hearts. Father, make us hear you this day. And Holy Father, as we agree with your word, may the depths of our heart right now say amen. Though the situation and circumstance may, it may not look like things are all right. But yet I say amen. Though my life may be turned upside down right now, Lord, we can still say amen. So, Father, help us to believe what you have given unto us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us hope. May you move mightily in this place this morning. Father, hide me behind your word. Use me as you see fit. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I wouldn't have to do much to prove to you that we live in perilous times. As individuals and as a nation, we are under constant threat of attack from those who would love to see much harm come to us. Whether it's the latest terrorist attack, the the, the deranged gunmen, whether it's uh, Syria, Russia, uh, or the local news latest shooting. We live in a day where we need to be taking added measures to be vigilant and aware. For many, this involves uh, some type of preparation uh, in order to be ready so that their uh, likely chances of survival would increase said something happened. But as many are preparing for the worst, we, we may not come face to face with ISIS tomorrow, but, but the reality, reality is that each and every day we all face some type of battle. The majority of our battles have nothing to do with political enemies, but everything to do with what our everyday lives just face. You may have a battle right now on the job. You may have a battle right now in your home. You may have a battle right now in school. You may have a battle right now in your body. If you're not facing a battle this week, just wait. And it's because we we live in a fallen, broken world. That's the reason why there's always a next battle to take part in. And and, and for this reason, whatever battle you may be facing, I want to ask you the question, are you prepared for battle? Have you been equipped to face the challenges of life? Uh, The truth is, most of us are unprepared and ill-equipped to fight life's battles, and, and we don't know what to do. The result of this inability to handle life's battles uh, causes frustration, anger, bitterness, depression, and all of that just dumps on top of our lives that we're already dealing with. But you know what? I'm, I'm just crazy enough to believe that it doesn't have to be that way. I, I believe that there is a way that, that to be in the middle, in the midst of difficulty and, and the storm, you can still have joy. I believe that there is a way to be in the middle of a trying time and yet still press on. I believe that God is able to, to, to reach down into our lowest situation and to bring us up and to renew our strength because he has prepared us for battle. Those of you who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're we're heading to uh, our promised land. But you better believe on the way we will face opposition, battles of life. What I believe 
is that knowing God gives you the ability to face the battles of life. Not a superficial knowing, not an a intellectual knowing. Yeah, I, I know of Jesus. I know God. I, I believe there is a big man upstairs. But no, this is a, 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 a deep, intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. Not because you've seen him out there, but because he lives with inside of you. This knowing, knowing God gives you the ability to face life battles. And I believe the text before us this morning gives us answers and a hope in fighting the battles of life. The context here of what's going on, we see that Israel has come across the Jordan. They are preparing to enter into the land. And just as they do, the, this, this new generation needs to take care of some things before they go in. It is here that God is preparing them for the fight of their lives. It's, 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 it's here we see how the children of God, they're given the necessary tools and means to fight their battles. There's three episodes here. So when we look, we begin right at verse 1, and what we see in the text, we see in the text that uh, as Israel has come over the Jordan, uh, all the people of the land are scared. The Amorites and the, the Canaanite kings, they're, they're, they're afraid because they have seen the mighty hand of God work. And back in chapter 4, God said that when the people see you, they will see my mighty hand. And now that the people have seen God's mighty hand, they're trembling, they're scared, and they don't even want to put up a fight. But what God does is he uses that cover in order to prepare the people because he needs to do something with them. Because the text tells us that as they have come over through the wilderness, this new generation is not circumcised. They have not kept the covenant. Is it their fault? No, probably not. But what has happened is their disobedient parents, they're, they're, they're the ones who grumbled and complained and moaned, we see that they was halfway obedient to what God was saying. They would follow the cloud around. They would follow the, the pillar of fire around. But when it came to really handling business for God, they would grumble. So their disobedience have left their children in a sticky situation. Their disobedience have left their offspring unprepared for what God wants them to do. But God says, I'm going to remedy that, I'm going to take care of that, and I'm going to handle it myself. So in this situation, he tells Joshua to make sure that the sons of Israel are circumcised. Get them ready to go into the land. Make sure they have what they need in order to make their claim on the land. See, the circumcision is a, is a covenant commitment. Back in the 17th chapter of Genesis, God affirms his covenant with Abram at that time, changing his name to Abraham, father of the multitudes. See, and the promise that God has given is to be with him and his offspring. See, that's the primary promise. We, we, we like what God gives us. We like the stuff. And in this covenant, God said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to multiply your generations, and I'm going to be with you. If, if God gave you those choices, which one would you pick? Because in the end, we like the stuff, and sometimes we don't like God. But the primary part of this covenant promise is, I will be with you. I'm going to be there. Your presence will be with the people. And this, this sign of this covenant between God and Abraham will be the cutting away of the foreskin from the male genitals for everyone who was eight days old and on. This covenant uh, uh, mark would be the primary Jewish identity. Circumcision would be a ritual required of Abraham and his family, and what it would do, it would signify membership in this covenant community with God. However, those who remain uncircumcised were to be cut off or put out of the camp. This rite of circumcision symbolized uh, complete devotion to the service of God as a priesthood. As a priesthood. So simply put, to be circumcised meant you belonged to God. If you weren't, you didn't. Simple as that. It's 
Uh, so before this generation could make any legitimate claim to the land, they needed to belong to God first. Have you ever flown on an airplane before? Have you ever really thought about all that you had to go through to claim your seat? Anybody been on a plane before? In order to claim your seat, you have to show up at the counter with your photo ID in order to pick up your ticket. You hand them your ID, they look at your ID, they make sure it's you, they, they're checking, making sure, okay, this is you, okay, and then they, they look at the ticket and make sure the name is properly spelled. Address is the same. So before you have a legitimate claim to your ticket, they have to make sure you are who you say you are. At that point, you uh, receive your ID back and then you receive your ticket, but in order to lay claim to that seat, you still have to go through security. And that security, your photo ID is not just enough. You have to bring your ticket too. You have to show them your ID and you have to show them your ticket now if you want to have this claim on your seat. But then you pass security and heading on to, uh, to board your plane, you still have to have your ID, you have to have your ticket, but now you need to know what's your seat number because your legitimate claim on your seat uh, will be affected by what row you in and the order on, on which you board. And then you get on the plane. Crawling over people, bumping into people. And it seems like your seat is all, always the one, isn't it? Your, your seat always the one way in the back. They should have let you get on first. But you look at the row and you look at the number. And you look down and you say, that's my seat. Well, why do you have a legitimate claim to that seat? Because my ID matches up. I got the ticket. I've boarded the plane. That's mine. What God is doing through circumcision, he's saying when the people go into the land, won't nobody say that they ain't supposed to be there. They're my people. They have a legitimate claim. They've been circumcised. I've checked their IDs. I've made sure that they pass security. They have been on board of this, this train called the Ark of the Covenant. And in the land, they will be able to claim their seat. They have a legitimate claim. Going through the land. God is, is setting them up for success. But not only does uh, circumcision prove that they have a legitimate claim in the land, uh, circumcision will lighten the load for travel. Well, what does that mean? Uh, in the text you see in uh, verse 9, God says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the, that place is called Gilgal to this day. Reproach of Egypt. What is he talking about here? There's two things to look at in the text. When he's talking about the reproach of Egypt, he's talking about the stain, the shame of being someone's slave, to having to, to, to build bricks and to, to build monuments to God who is not your God, to be treated anyway, to have to scrape just to get by, to, to be defeated, to be on the bottom, to be oppressed. And what God is doing is, I'm going to cut away all that shame. I'm going to take it all away because it may affect how you think about yourself and your identity. What is God doing? He's showing them that their circumstances don't match up who they really are. I'm going to circumcise you to remind you that you belong to me. And if you belong to me, you're not less than. Matter of fact, you're more than because you are my treasured possession, not just a possession, something I, I put in the drawer, but a treasured possession is something that you sit out on the table so that everybody who walk in can see what you got. And what God is saying is, I'm going to set up my people in a primary preeminent place that when people walk around, they're going to see you and see how special you are. God is, God is showing them that you are more than where you come from. He's rolling off that reproach, but then also he is doing this for his name's sake. Because uh, all throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy, uh, when Moses is pleading on the people's behalf because they've been acting like a fool, he says, Lord, don't wipe them out 
so that, so that when Egypt looks, they'll say, uh, uh, look at that guy. He, he wasn't able to bring them out. This reproach of Egypt looking over the life of Israel and saying that God wasn't able to get them there. So by circumcising them, he is able to say, my people made it. I am who I said I am. I'm able to do what I said I can do. And if I promised it, it will come to pass. He is rolling a Gilgal. It's kind of sweet. If if we can just come up with names of of cities because of things that just happened. But what he's saying is, at this place, I have taken away anything that will interfere, prohibit you from understanding that you belong to me. Belong to God. Phenomenal truths. What does this mean for us? Looking over history, looking back, what does this mean for us? One of the things that this means is when preparing to fight life's battles, knowing whom I belong to will help me know what to fight for. Knowing who I belong to will help me know what I'm supposed to be fighting for. In God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, he says that you will be blameless. You need to be above reproach. You need to be obedient to me. So when it comes to my life, when it comes to what I will do and what I won't do, I I, I will fight for obedience to God. I will fight to, to love well. I will fight to be kind. I will fight to help. I will fight to do right. I will fight every single battle that I have to come up against that requires me to live well for God. Because I belong to him. So that's what I'm fighting for. I'm going to fight for the things that God fights for. And I'm not going to fight for foolishness. I'm not going to fight for gossip. I'm not going to fight for backstabbing. I'm not going to fight for oppression and betrayal. I'm not going to fight for racism. I'm not going to fight for all these things that everyone is fighting for because of what it would bring to them. See, the people of God, I'm not concerned about having the upper hand on anybody because I know somebody who got the upper hand on everybody. And if I'm faithful to him, he will see me through. Not only belonging, knowing who I belong to will help me know what I fight for, but when, parent, when preparing for life's battles, knowing who, whom I belong to will help lighten the load. Well, what does that mean? You know, walking with the Lord is tough enough, but when you got a bunch of foolishness, foolishness and baggage in your life, it's even harder to follow God. By taking away their reproach, uh, God is lightening their load. He's taking away those things that would hinder them, that would be stumbling blocks, that would be walls, that would be things that would prohibit them from seeing him clearly. When when you know who you belong to, you know that you sometimes you gotta get you gotta get rid of some stuff. If I'm gonna follow God, I need to get rid of some of this baggage because it's weighing me down. It's, It's it's making this trip. Harder than necessary. I'm I'm caught up in all this drama. I'm I'm caught up in all this mess. And God says, don't be so easily entangled in that sin and foolishness. We got to let that stuff go. We have to allow God to, to cut it away. But when God cuts it away, he will provide cover. For you to heal. When God needs to do something in your life that's going to cut something away, and, and uh, because we know when we have surgery, it's necessary for the doctor to use a scalpel. But this is what you call a addition by subtraction. You're cutting away the things that are causing hindrances in your life in order to have the benefit of a better life. So so what's taking place is God is removing some things, and sometimes he has to cut, and when he cuts, 
Sometimes you hurt, and sometimes you bleed, and you're going to need some time to heal. Verse, verse 1, but God will give you the cover you need to heal when he cuts. He does it all. He does it all. My question to you is, have you been circumcised or not? Do you belong to God or not? See, you, you can face life battles when you know to whom you belong. So Israel, they, they, they knew to whom they belonged, but also they, they, they knew who delivered them. Know who delivers you. Verses 10 through 12, the people are keeping Passover, this, this meal instituted uh, on this day, 40 years to the day. They're observing this Passover meal because they have entered into the land. The day after they observe the Passover meal, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And on that day, uh, in order for them to eat, instead of, uh, instead of taking manna, they begin to feast off the land. That is flowing with milk and honey. And the God reports to us that as soon as they begin to take of the land, God said, I don't have to feed you anymore from heaven because my provision is right in front of you. I'm giving it to you right now. It's, it's, it's right there. So they, they're in the land. They begin to celebrate these feasts. They begin to eat up the land. This Passover meal was a commemorative celebration. The Passover meal, uh, when, you, when you look at the chronological order of how they came off the land, it it acts almost like bookends to the story of the Exodus, right? Because on, on, on one side you have the, the Passover taking place, and then they cross the Red Sea. And, and then they cross the Jordan, and then they have the Passover once again. Forty years later, this, this Passover would represent that this second Exodus, this going into Jordan, is all because of what God has done for us. The Passover, looking back at, it looks back to Exodus 12 when the tenth and final plague was coming to Pharaoh. God, uh, Pharaoh's heart was so hard that God said, I'm going to take everyone in, in, in the land's firstborn. Their firstborn son, their firstborn ox, their, their firstborn, no matter what it was, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy it. And I'm coming for everybody. But the people who sacrifice a lamb, like I told them, and take the blood and put it on their doorposts. When the death angel got to their home, he would pass over. He would give them grace. That sacrificial act would uh, allow them uh, to be rescued, spared, saved, delivered from the wrath. So when they ate of the Passover, they would be reminded uh, uh, not only who they belonged to, but just who had delivered them. Delivered, that this uh, is like a two-part, two-fold deliverance. First, they were being delivered from Pharaoh and slavery. They were being set free, no longer have to, having to live under oppression. God was saying, my, it's time for my people to stand up and be a nation on their own. I'm going to set you free. You're going to come to me and worship me and live for me. So there's this setting free from slavery, but also this is a, a, a deliverance, a rescue from the wrath of God. Whose wrath was going to kill the firstborns? This was God's wrath. God was pouring out judgment on Egypt. So in, in, in a way, that, that lamb was saving Israel from their own God. So when they looked at the power of God, when they looked at his holiness and has, how he was not to be played with, as they ate this meal, they will remember he has slaved us from chains, but he has saved us from his wrath. We are delivered. We are free. And we don't have to worry about this any longer. But there's another thing that from here on out, they would be reminded after they eaten the Passover meal, they would be reminded that their wilderness journey 
their wilderness wanderings were completely over. They could take possession of the land. Because what did the text say? The te- as long as they were wandering in the wilderness. See, that, that's, that's something awesome. Why are, they, why, why are they wandering in the wilderness in the first place? Because they were disobedient to God's command to go in the land the first time. God in his uh, amazing grace, his, his benevolent uh, posture, his, and his glorious goodness, even in the midst of them being disobedient in their wilderness wanderings, he said, I'm still going to feed you. I'm still going to provide. You've, you've, you've blown it. You've done wrong. You've, but I'm still going to take care of you. I'm still going to supply your needs. I'm still going to give you everything you need for sustenance and strength. But what this would remind them of is, though we were in the wilderness wandering and God is supplying from, uh, manna from heaven for us, this is where we are supposed to be. The land flowing with milk and honey. See, it's, it's so abundant. Didn't they just show up? Did they, did they have to grow anything? They, they just showed up. It was like, there's a stock right there. There's a stock right there. Oh, yeah, get some of them over there. And no one had to lift the finger. God had already provided. They just needed to show up. Isn't it like that sometimes? We fighting God, fighting God. He's just saying, show up. I can give you more than manna. I, I can put more on your table. Just show up. Just get there. You know my point. You get there. He is, he, they begin to eat. This is a time of transition. They're going to be facing new battles, new enemies, new steps and walks of faith. What does this mean for us looking over? Well, this means that when preparing for, uh, to fight life's battles, Knowing who delivers me will help me keep my guard up. What does that mean? If, if, if I know that I have a deliverer, then I know there's trouble too. If I know that he is saving me from something, there's something to be saved from. And if I understand that God is protecting me, he is delivering me, well, what is he keeping me from? He's keeping me from trouble. He's keeping me from foolishness. He's keeping me from sin. He's keeping me from myself. And, and what that does is it gets me in a posture where I, I got my guard up. I'm not just walking around like, Lord, here I, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Getting beat up. Oh, here I am, Lord. Psh. It teaches you that you got an enemy. We're walking around thinking that our boss is our enemy. There's someone more wicked who is our enemy. He doesn't love you, uh, can't stand you, want to kill you. And we need to pay attention as Christians. You have an enemy. If you're everybody's friend, then you're, I don't know what type of Christian life you're really living. Because Jesus promised himself that we would have opposition and enemies in this life. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. This means that we need to keep our hands free and not entangled. Stop getting caught up in so much mess. I, I, I can't keep my guard up if I'm all tangled up. I can't fight if my hands are all on my side because I, I got a sin addiction. I just can't let it go. Uh, how can I fight these battles if my hands aren't free, if my legs aren't free, if I'm not walking in the freedom that God has already given through Jesus Christ? Not only this, But when preparing to fight life's battles, knowing who delivers me will help me face new opponents. We all face times of transition, times of new challenges. And with new challenges and transition come new opponents. There's new people on the job who want to oppose you. There's new friends who come around and, and want to backstab. There's, 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 there's new institutions and system, systems that want to stand against you. Uh, so, so we're always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. If I could just go, if I could just be, if I could just, you're going to have opposition everywhere you go, so you might as well get ready to face it now. When I know I have a deliverer, I know I'm going to have opponents. But also, I know if he did it before. 
then he can do it again. If he brought me through last time, he can bring me through this time. If he got me over the hump last week, he can get me over the hump this week. When I know I got a deliverer, I I know that I still can make it today because he brought me through yesterday. God is faithful. My question to you today is, have you been delivered? You can face life's battles when you know who delivers you. But this third episode here, God is showing us that preparation for battle is not just knowing who you belong to. It's not just knowing who delivers you, but it's knowing who fights for you. Verses 13 through 15. It appears as if Joshua is getting a lay of the land. He's he's out scoping Jericho, doing some reconnaissance of his own. And he comes upon a man standing with the sword already drawn. And instead of attacking or backing up, uh, Joshua wants to know, well, I I can't really recognize his face. Uh, Who sad is he on? So he calls out, are you for us or our adversaries? And I love how he answers. He just says, no. No. I, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And, and what he's saying is like, I, I don't take your side or their side. There's my side. Are you on it? But not only does Joshua recognize his, his power by humbly worshiping him, he, he is called to Recognize that he's standing on holy ground. Well, what's, what's going on in this text? The text is not completely clear on who this commander was. But when you look at Joshua's posture, he, he begins to worship. He begins to submit himself. He begins to bow down. The fact that the land upon which he is standing is holy ground, uh, signifies that this ain't no regular cat. This is someone who is preeminent, someone that is powerful, someone that is great, someone that is uh, marvelous and magnificent. This is somebody who has power and authority. It's clear to Joshua that whoever this is, he outranks me. His lapel has more pins than mine. Uh, He's been on the job longer than, he has more seniority. He he knows what he's doing. So Joshua bows down, takes off his sandals, signifying that this is God's ground. And I'm just coming on to meet him. This is God making good on his promise in Joshua 1. He says, what? I will be with you. Oh, God, is, is, is good to give us object lessons, isn't it? Not only does he tell Joshua that I will be with you, he shows Joshua that I will be with you. And he sends his commander. All of this would, would, would also remind Israel that though their battles are played out of land, ultimately this is a spiritual battle. Though you may... Be going into the land to conquer and for conquest that ultimately what's taking place in the physical realm is because of what's going on in the spiritual realm. What does this mean to us? We know that when preparing to fight life's battles, knowing who fights for you helps you remember your rank. Oftentimes in our our lives, we We think we're all of that. And we think that we can fix every situation in our own strength. And a lot of times, God has to remind us just who we are. He has to give us a wake-up call to remind us that we're not that sweet. You're not that smart. You're not that wise. And you need me in every situation. He's teaching us to remember our rank. We are not above him. We are not the God of our own lives. I don't get to do what I want, say what I want, go where I want because I want. My my life is under the authority submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I remember my rank. But not only that, I when preparing for life's battles, know who fights for you, knowing who fights for you, help you realize that this is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. Satan is coming for you. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your job. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy every single relationship that you have to, to, to make the glory of God look terrible. Because he can't take you, but he only wants to blur and discourage your life. The text tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You, you think you got a problem with your boss? You think your ultimate issue is with your teacher? With your friends? Satan is using people, his minions, to affect your life. So the enemy is not the person standing right there. This is a spiritual warfare, which reminds us that if it's spiritual warfare, then I got to take a different approach. I can't fight you. I need to get on my knees and pray for you. If this is spiritual warfare, I have to pull out my spiritual weapons. I, I can't hit you over the head. I can't cuss you out, but I sure can pray for you and read some scripture on your behalf. My question is, are you with God or not? You can face life's battles when you know who, you, who fights for you. So looking back over this text, over these historical events, the nation of Israel, they would have been encouraged looking back, knowing that if God was able to do that for them, he is who he says he is, and he is able to be the same for them. As long as they were obedient to this God, who brought Joshua and Israel over, they would be well. They would be encouraged. As we look back on these historical events, we can be encouraged as well. Well, how so? See, our encouragement comes from knowing that each ritual, each memorial, they all point to someone greater. They all point to Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 tells us that Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Why? These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance, but the substance belongs to Christ. All the sacrifices, all of the feasts, all that the priests were doing, all pointed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's pointing to someone greater. So when we see circumcision in the text, we can take heart. Because circumcision points to a greater reality is that we need circumcised hearts. We need a spiritual circumcision to take place, to cut away that dead, uh, dilapidated skin that has crusted over our hearts. We, th- this, is why, this is why we can be just uh, so uh, uh, apathetic when it comes to the things of God. It's like, oh, well, I'm at worship. I got to go to church. Yeah, I know God loves me. But the reason that we're so apathetic is because our hearts have been crusted over. Jesus wants to circumcise our hearts. As a matter of fact, he already has. And it says, in him, Colossians 2, in him also, You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that the circumcision that Jesus does isn't a physical one. It's a spiritual one. And when Jesus gets a hold of your heart and begins to shave away all of that dead skin, all of that crust, He's taking away all those sinful habits, those sinful desires, those sinful ways. See, well, why is he doing that? Because he wants our heart to experience fully the love that he has for us. 
God is not sanctifying you because he's mean. He's not purifying because he ain't got nothing else to do. He wants you to understand his love for you in, 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 in his maximum capacity. But your heart can't be crusted over to experience that. We're, we're looking for fulfillment, and Jesus says, I'm here. We're looking for satisfaction, and Jesus says, I'm here. Just give me your heart. Take it away. Not only is Jesus our circumcision, but Jesus is our Passover. He is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed on our behalf. Why? So we would no longer be slaves to sin. Our desires don't run us anymore. I can say no. I can say nah. I can say I want you, Lord. But not only is he freeing us from slavery of sin, he's saving us from the wrath of God. We're running around scared of Satan. You need to be scared of God. Because if you are, your life is not in order, he has promised uh, retribution and wrath for those who have not submitted to him. Jesus, on Calvary's cross, bore that pain. He bore that wrath. So when our life is hidden in Christ, it's as if we were there too. Yeah. And, 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 and God is, is more holier than our legal system but, but uh, uh, my understanding is that double jeopardy will be in play. If my sins have already been paid for, then I don't have to pay again. Uh, Jesus has went to the cross, taken all my sin, all my blame, and I just need to be in him. My life is in him, and I don't have to pay. That's forgiveness. But lastly, Jesus is our warrior. Jesus is our victorious warrior. Revelation 19 tells us that he is coming back on his white horse. One called faithful and true. And in the righteousness, he judges and makes war. Who is he warring against? Those who have been set up in opposition to his rule. Those who have been oppressing his people. Those who won't bend the knee willingly, but he will make them bow. Jesus is our victorious warrior. No one can take him. Jesus fights for us. So because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this, of all of these things, we have hope. We have life. And when preparing to fight life's battles, all we need is Jesus. That's all we need. Jesus. When the issue come up, call out Jesus. Problems and situations, circumstances come up, Jesus. When you're full, full of anxiety and stress, Jesus. When, when burdens are on your back, Jesus. When, when, when your children are acting up, Jesus. When when your spouse is acting up, Jesus, when, when the job is going crazy, Jesus. Jesus makes us ready for life's battles. We come to Jesus through repentance and faith. Father, I'm sorry for living for myself for doing what I want to do, not living, for living for my own glory, not living for yours. And by faith, built upon the word of God, I believe you are who you say you are. You did that for my sins. You did take away the guilt, the shame. You have given me a new identity. You have given me hope. You have given me a promised land. And by faith, I ask that you would save me right now. We look to Jesus. Life is hard. And we often feel like we, we need a break. I just, I just need a break. I'm tired. 
so much has been going on. But I believe that God wants us to learn how to live in the midst of difficulties. Because it's in the midst of difficulties where he grows us, where he purifies us, where he sanctifies us, where, where he, he, he makes us run to him and not to ourselves. He, he draws us close. When there's problems with a, a child and they're crying and they're weeping, they don't really have to say much to their mother or father. They just come and just give them a hug. That's what salvation is. You're already crying. You're already beat up. Satan's been going upside your head, left and right, left and right. You don't know you're up from your down already. Come to Jesus. Let him, let him put his loving arms around you and show you what it means to be loved. We need to know who we belong to. We need to know who delivered us. And we need to know who fights for us. But most of all, we need to know not in an intellectual way, but in an intimate, deep, passionate way, we need to know Jesus. We need Jesus. Are you really a part of the family of God? Do you really know Jesus? We live in perilous times. But I'm reminded of an old hymn. Times is filled with swift transitions. Not on earth unmoved can stand. Build your hope on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Someone in here today needs to hold on to God's hand. Your life is a wreck. It's a mess. You're too ashamed to say anything. Hold on to his hand. It never fail you. Trust in Jesus. Let us pray.